And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. Hardship. My grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. My guest for this morning is Dr. Robert Keith Wallace. He is a pioneering researcher on the physiology of consciousness. His research has inspired hundreds of studies on the benefits of meditation and other mind-body techniques. Dr. Wallace's findings have been published in Science, American Journal of Physiology, and Scientific American. He is also the founding president of Maharishi University of Management in Fatfield, Virginia. Dr. Wallace and I will have a wonderful conversation about his latest collaborative work with his wife, Samantha Wallace, regarding their newly released book titled, Gut Crisis, How Diet, Probiotics, and Friendly Bacteria Help You Lose Weight and Heal your body and mind. Good morning, Dr. Wallace. Welcome back to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning, sir? Uh, Very good. Thank you, Johnny. It's a pleasure to be back on your show again. Fantastic. It is a great pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning in our kitchen hangout. And I have to tell you, last year we had a fantastic time talking about Dharma parenting. It was a truly wonderful concept, and now I am excited about today's topic. Gut crisis is a very interesting an informative book. I consider it to be a terrific reference book and is also an easy read as well. So congratulations to you and Samantha. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. For the sake of our new listeners, let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. <laughs> I, I, you know, that question is, uh, that's a loaded question. I love it. Uh, well, let's see. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, I started off in Los Angeles. I grew up um, surfing, going to the beach, uh, and then I ended up at eventually at UCLA getting a PhD in physiology. Um, and then I went to Harvard, did research there. I ended up, as you mentioned, being the first president of a university in Fairfield, Iowa, of all places. Mm-hmm. I didn't really expect myself to go to Iowa, <laughs> but uh, in Iowa. I'm married. Um, My wife uh, is a former Vogue model. She's a very uh, intelligent, amazing person and helps me with all my writing and is writing her own books. And uh, we live in this very small town in the middle of Iowa. We've we've traveled around the world extensively, lived in Europe a number of years. And, uh, you know, mostly we're both into how to help people feel and, and be better. Fantastic. Did you have that urge of wanting to contribute and learning about we as a person and the energies and so forth at a very young age? I did. I did. You know, my grandfather was a surgeon. All my cousins were doctors. I did very much. I was more interested in the research part of it. And I was Mm -hmm. more interested in consciousness and meditation and I met uh, a very, very amazing man, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, at a young age, and he had a tremendous influence on my life and very much was focused on trying to help the world uh, be healthier and uh, have less suffering. So, yes, that that was a big impact, uh, started young and never stopped. We all have that sort of a curiosity mind or wanting to learn something. And then, obviously, it became a career for you, and you kind of really took off with it. So at what point that the study of consciousness sort of like totally, I would say, embraced you completely and encapsulated your very being? Yeah, I would say that it didn't really happen until I met this man uh, who was the teacher of Transcendental Meditation. 
Maharishi. And when I met him, he really struck me as the real thing. I learned to meditate. I was going to UCLA at the time. I was a physics major. And I decided I really wanted to study the physiology of consciousness. That became my mm-hmm. passion. And so I just focused it on that. And that led me to natural medicine. I became extremely interested in learning about all the traditional systems of medicine and all these ancient ways um, that could help us. I sort of, you know, it's sort of like becoming an mm-hmm. archaeologist. You kind of want to dig mm-hmm. up the things in the past and kind of bring them out to the future and that's been my ambition is kind of try to translate all these ancient ideas into modern scientific terms. What's interesting is that you were talking a lot about in terms of behavioral medicine. Is behavioral medicine the panacea for our current chronic health challenges? Word. It encompasses so many different things. And mm-hmm. some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. But I would say that it's kind of the solution is pretty old fashioned. It's common sense more than behavioral medicine. Um, but it's nice when it's dressed up with good scientific research. And the right. common sense is we all know we could live a better life. We just have to make changes in our lifestyle. A lot of it's diet, stress reduction, you know, it can be exercise, yoga. There's so many things out there that we know are good for us and we just don't do. It's it's really more common sense than any, you know, fancy behavioral mm-hmm. medicine. It's just trying to, there are new fields of medicine called lifestyle medicine. But what is mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine? Just trying to get people to do things that they already know are good for them, but they don't do. So obviously we are going through a process in our life that we have so many distractions though. And the word, the first word that comes to mind is convenience. How does convenience relates to your challenges in terms of trying to educate people from your perspective of health. Yeah, I'd say that's a really, really good description. I was uh, having a meal the other day with a very wealthy man. I'd just given a lecture at this uh, very expensive golf uh, club down in Florida. And, you know, I was, he was eating this very rich food and really enjoying himself. And I said, well, you know, are you healthy? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm healthy. And I said, well, uh, do you take any pills? And he said, oh, and he listed about 10 or 20 pills he was taking. Mm-hmm. You know, this one for, for arthritis, this one for blood pressure, this one for cholesterol. And, you know, he considered himself healthy, even though he was taking all those pills. And I said to him, well, what, you know, what if I could give you a diet that maybe you wouldn't have to take those pills anymore, but you might not be able to eat all that rich food you have in front of you. He said, no, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want that diet. He said, I'd rather take the pills and eat this food. So, I I mean, that's the kind of world we live in. Um, We live in a world where people are used to quick solutions. They'd rather take a pill for something, even if it has side effects. And now, but there are certain conditions you can't take a pill for. Uh, I just Mm -hmm. was reading this amazing book on uh, the end of Alzheimer's by Dr. Dale Bredesen, and he, he was saying, you know, he's pointing out there's no pill for Alzheimer's. We all have someone, mm-hmm. right. some relative or someone that's got dementia or Alzheimer's. There's no pill. So you go to the doctor, he can't do anything. But there actually is a dietary plan and lifestyle plan that can help like nine out of ten people. At least that's what his research at UCLA shows. So we're entering a time in the world where people have to actually not just resort to a pill. I mean, pills are good for many things, but they actually have to do preventative steps. Mm-hmm. So uh, which the brain, the body is so complex. Sometimes one single pill can't solve anything. So you actually have to make some substantial changes in your life, which are very good and really, really beneficial for you. I would think there are a tremendous amount of challenge in embracing the physiology of consciousness as a discipline, like you were talking about, because there's so many easy way out, I guess, for lack of a better term here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, uh, for me, it was interesting when I studied uh, transcendental meditation. It's such an Mm -hmm. easy technique that made it a lot simpler. You know, it wasn't like Zen Mm -hmm. or something where you had to, you know, 
20 years to be able to have one experience. These people had experience right away. So that helps if you have techniques and programs that give you results right away. Um, I, you know, in researching a lot of these solutions um, that are in traditional medicine, like Ayurveda, the system of India, um, mm-hmm. you can find incredibly simple things like sipping warm water throughout the day. This can have an amazing effect. They have some real simple things um, that have dramatic effects. You know, we all know Fine. taking oaks a day, and yet we're so busy in our lives, we don't do it. So maybe what we all need is kind of a health coach. We need someone, mm-hmm. maybe it's our wife, you know, maybe the husband, but somebody to kind of work with us and remind us, hey, you know, keep drinking water throughout the day. Come on, let's go take a walk. Uh, let's, you know, let's eat these foods and not these foods. Let's take <laughs> these supplements. Let's take these probiotics. It, it's just that kind of social encouragement. If we all kind of are helping each other, I think we can do better. Unfortunately, we live in a world where the food industry has created wonderful foods that basically cause cravings and addictions. And they have scientists mm-hmm. that work for hundreds of hours just to get us addicted to certain foods that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily good for us. So we have, you know, we have to kind of get together ourselves and get back to our roots. When you talk about warm water, it reminded me about growing up in Malaysia. And of course, my mom and my whole family back home drinks warm water. When we bought our first refrigerator, that was like a hallelujah moment. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I love ice water or cold water. Somehow it tastes better. So it's a difficult challenge. It is, but it, you know, for some people, cold water is good. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, remember in Dharma parenting, we had the, yes. we were talking about Ayurveda and the different types. So there's one mm-hmm. type that's more fire in them which you probably are, knowing your energy and all the things you do. And that fire really uh, needs some cooling occasionally. So uh, (laughs) for you, the cold water doesn't have an effect. But if a person was what they call a vata or a kapha, those people don't like damp or Mm -hmm. cold. And so for them, you know, they're drinking um, a soda pop with all kinds of cold water just because everybody Mm -hmm. else is. But it's actually kind of damping their digestive power and mm-hmm. having not such a good effect on them. So mm-hmm. uh, the warm water, you know, for you, you could not, you would not like hot water. And even warm water might be a little difficult for you. And you yeah. might not need it. Your, your power of digestion might be so strong that it burns everything. But for some people, that warm water has the effect of kind of dissolving some of the the toxins in the body and helping get rid of them. And it it can be very effective for certain people. Um, But I get it why you would like cold water, and it's probably not that bad for you. That's very interesting. I never thought about it that way. Technically, we're supposed to eat soup warm, right, or closer to hot of the spectrum. And I love, I wouldn't say cold soup, but it doesn't bother me. The closer it gets to room temperature, it really starts to get to me. Yeah, and yet yeah. everybody loves hot soup. Yeah, well, it's it's different. We are that's the thing you know we've got to recognize is, and that's what these ancient systems, whether mm-hmm. it's Chinese medicine or Indian or wherever culture, you know, particularly from the East, they really yeah. understood that people had different natures, and there were different. You know, it's it's hard to do. I think we talked about this before. If you have a family, yeah. And you've got, you know, all these different types. How do you satisfy each one? You're never going to really. It's going to be a compromise. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, you try your best. Um, and you re- when you recognize your kid doesn't like something, then you're a little more tolerant of it and try to help them out. You know? Tell us a little bit about the ancient Ayurveda natural health system. I know we talked a little bit about it. Can you kind of give us some really specific things so that we can picture in our mind this is what it's all about because a lot of times we hear principles we hear concepts but we don't really see it in terms of the application to everyday living from a simpler standpoint of view yeah i mean ayurveda is not that well known frankly mm-hmm. you know there's like about one percent of the u.s population has any idea what it is 
And because it's from India, nobody thinks of it as really having a great benefit for health because generally when you think of India, you think, hey, people are starving or suffering or right. they're so good. So it's not, It's there is a lot to overcome on it, but it's very similar to traditional Chinese medicine in that it has components which we're now understanding to be quite relevant. For example, there's a whole new area of medicine called personalized medicine, where mm-hmm. we look at a person's genetic makeup and we realize this person's different than that person, and therefore the dose of drug, the type of drug we give them should be tailored. Now, mm-hmm. in Ayurveda, that is something they've had for thousands of years, like Chinese traditional medicine also. Also, as I was saying, you know, lifestyle medicine is a new area of medicine. Again, figuring out that just the simplest things in diet, exercise, sleep, these can have major impact. They've known that forever. They knew all about chronobiology, that there's, Mm -hmm. you know, morning people and evening people. There are times of the day that are good for some people, not good for others. And we're just kind of finding that out. And they use a lot of different herbs and spices that, you know, we think, okay, they're interesting, turmeric, ginger, human. Mm-hmm. Now, hundreds, thousands of studies have been done showing these are anti-inflammatory, they're anti-cancer, right. they're very valuable. So it's Ayurveda is this enormous wealth of knowledge about health that we are, with science, we're going to be able to translate it and make it something that's more commonly understood and appreciated. Without that, it's really fun. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, that you know, you could have be a fire type or a wind type or an earth type, but it doesn't work that well in modern science. It works well as alternative health, but not so much mainstream. So still, we have to kind of translate all those ideas that are fun and interesting and marvelous, and we have to kind of show that they have a scientific basis. And that's being done. So hopefully soon we'll have a better appreciation of how important this this whole health system is. Right. Well, when you talk about natural health systems, it's always custom tailored. So it's tailored yeah. to that individual person, so to speak. When you talk about modern medicine, even though it's good for the masses, and then you have this sort of sometimes when one pays attention to the TV commercial, you realize that 30-second pitch, 10 seconds is for the benefit of the medication. The other 20 seconds is, by the way, these are the da 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 the side effects. You've experienced. Why do they even allow that? And they show people dancing around and happy as they yeah. have these horrendous side effects. I know. I think we're all basically appalled by it and how they get away with it. I have no idea. But yes, you're right. And that is the biggest, I would say that's the biggest difference between the natural health systems like Mm -hmm. Ayurveda and modern medicine is there don't have side effects. They're natural and they are generally good for everything. Modern medicine, you got to hand it to them. They've created some amazing stuff. I mean, antibiotics alone have saved Mm -hmm. millions and millions of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, you know, but they've been overused. And now we have right. huge problems in 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 our gut um, mm-hmm. because we've overprescribed these, and doctors know it. Now they, right. they'll give right. antibiotic, and they'll say, well, take a probiotic at the same time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're just different approaches. One is kind of disease-oriented. The other is health-oriented. And it's interesting. People in this age spend a huge amount of money on alternative medicine. <laughs> they spend as right, much right, right. as they do right. in modern medicine. It's interesting when you talk about what you just mentioned in terms of the probiotics versus antibiotics and so forth. In my mind, I picture that we have a battlefield going on in our gut and you cut the bad soldiers, the good soldiers. Actually, both are good soldiers and then somewhere along the line, it's in excess. So you need the other side of the equation to kind of balance it up to be in the middle, so to speak. Yeah. And so yeah. that's quite interesting, the approach from that perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what we didn't know, which is interesting, is we didn't realize mm-hmm. until maybe 10 years ago that how many 
friendly bacteria we had in our gut. I mean, we didn't have the technology to study it. If you tried to measure bacteria, you couldn't culture these bacteria. They don't like oxygen. And so it's very hard to culture them. It's only with gene sequencing that this whole notion of the so-called microbiome, that is Mm -hmm. all these friendly bacteria that live in or on us, and most of them are in the gut. And and in this case, they're in the lower part of the gut, in the large intestines. Nobody really knew that. So this is all new. This is like fantastically new. And there is. (laughs) a battle going on there all the time. And we know that bad bacteria can really cause havoc. Um, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it turns out that probably, you know, 95, 99% of the bacteria we have are friendly. So we, it, it kind of, we're coming to terms with the fact that, Hey, bacteria are mostly our friends. There are some bad guys we have to be careful with, but we have, Try to protect the friends. And just like you say, when you take an antibiotic, it's like napalming the gut. It has a lot of collateral damage. The good guys get wiped out. And the probiotics are there to help you get, you know, the rebalance the situation. And even the, even the probiotics themselves, I mean, there's only, in most probiotics, there's only like, you know, maybe eight friendly bacteria types, and you have mm-hmm. over a thousand in your gut. So you're not going to actually reseed the gut with a probiotic, but somehow probiotics work. They have a miraculous ability to help people with uh, many different digestive conditions. One of them is mm-hmm. irritable bowel syndrome. One in five people have this. It's diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, bloating, um, excess gas, all in this one category of irritable bowel syndrome, which has no known cause, no mm-hmm. known cause. And yet the research now shows, all the latest studies show that probiotics can really be helpful for that. And so there's a big, big push now to study probiotics. And even though we don't know exactly how they work, we know mm-hmm. they do work. And now the question is, hey, what's the best probiotic? That's the, that's the question I get asked the most. <laughs> so true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Dr. Robert Keith Wallace. He is a pioneering researcher on the physiology of consciousness. His research has inspired hundreds of studies on the benefits of meditation and other mind-body techniques. Dr. Wallace and I are having a conversation about his latest book, co-authored with his wife, Samantha Wallace, titled Gut Crisis, How Diet, Probiotics, and Friendly Bacteria Help You Lose Weight and Heal Your Body and Mind. Dr. Wallace, why did you and Samantha decide to really focus on the gut? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, my focus up to now has been primarily mm-hmm. on the brain and the mind because that's, you know, obviously studying the physiology of consciousness, that's where you look. But mm-hmm. I also, you know, as I got into it more deeply, I realized that meditation was part of these other traditions like Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine. And I started to get uh, very involved in really the whole use of traditional medicine. But I was a bit at a loss because I couldn't understand scientifically a lot of the principles. Mm-hmm. And yet about a year ago, I started, you know, reading it. As you can tell, this is becoming huge in the popular press. Yeah. I started yeah. reading one of the many, you know, hundreds of articles on the microbiome. And I said, wow the microbiome answers everything that that can help me translate these ancient ideas and make them accessible to science. So my wife and I, we started doing a lot of these practices. We started reading every book that was out there and we just wanted to kind of compare and contrast all the different approaches and find out what worked for us and what, what the latest beneficial Mm -hmm. programs were for the world. So, it was kind of a natural transition, and um, it's proven to be 
incredibly interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, what happens, and it turns out, this is, a, this is the part that's really interesting, it turns mm-hmm. out that the gut has a huge influence on your brain, on your mind. Um, mm-hmm. We now know that anxiety and depression are very much controlled by these gut bacteria. They secrete chemicals, neurotransmitters. They influence systems in our body. They influence hormones. They can affect, a lot of people believe, you know, when you're going to take that chocolate bar, it's not just right. your mind that's doing it. It's the gut bacteria. They want that chocolate, mm-hmm. some species. Mm-hmm. They send signals to the brain, and they're influencing us. So it turns out nowadays people recognize this as one big system. They call it the gut-brain axis, and they're really intimately connected. Nobody would have ever thought of that before, that bacteria Mm -hmm. in our gut could influence our brain. Now we pretty much understand that almost every disease you can think about is influenced by the gut. There's a wonderful expression from Hippocrates, which is, all disease begins in the gut. I would mm-hmm. not have been able to answer that <laughs> a few years ago. Now, right. I swear, every kind of disease from diabetes 1 to Parkinson's to autism, heart disease, all these diseases, people have found that it probably begins in the gut with inflammation in the gut and that inflammation mm-hmm. spreads to the heart, the brain, other parts of the body, and causes havoc. So it's a whole new kind of revolution in medicine about seeing the role of the gut in disease, which we never understood before. Right. It's very interesting because I presume, I mean, the average Joe out there, when we're thinking about cravings, we think about our brain being able to control our bodily functions. What you're talking about is that the activity that's going on in the gut sends those information and make you make those decisions of wanting to eat this and so forth and create that cravings and the emotions and so forth. I know. It, I know. It's, it's controversial, but <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many, how many uh, scientific articles out there that yeah. people are saying, that's it, that the, these bacteria can communicate. There's one huge nerve called the vagus nerve, which goes right from the brain through the heart, through the lungs, through the gut which is one major way they can communicate. But they also have the ability to communicate by um, secreting different substances, sometimes very, uh, they can mimic the body. They can make neurotransmitters, they can make hormones, and they can make other substances that we didn't even think about before to get into the body and affect Mm -hmm. everything. They even affect the genes in the body, you know, this whole area of epigenetics. They can secrete things that go into the body that turn on and off genes. So they affect cravings. They affect inflammation. They affect so many things. Nobody knew it. It's all right. new to science. Well, if we think about our body as a closed system, you cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. So the chemical imbalances that you address in the book clearly will affect something somehow, somewhere, that you may not realize it. What I look at it is this way. If the reservoir, which is your gut, is contaminated, then as such that your entire body being is contaminated. Well, that's true. And it, it's partly this idea of leaky gut syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. uh, nobody's, mm-hmm. this was a funny word, leaky gut. It used to be used <laughs> by alternative health experts, and doctors didn't like it. You know, if you look and yeah. Uh, go on the internet, you look up leaky gut. I mean, a lot of medical people say, oh, it's not a very well-defined term. And they use a word called increased intestinal permeability. Well, mm-hmm. they're both the same thing, actually. Right. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. different. And now, now that we understand celiac disease, you know, celiac disease mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a disease, genetic disorder where you can't eat gluten, that gives us a very precise model of leaky gut. It shows us very specifically how a food type can cause a chemical to be produced, which actually opens up the space between cells. Food is supposed to go across the membranes of cells in highly selected channels. But when you actually 
open up the space between cells, the so-called tight junctions, then food can leak in right into the bloodstream, undigested bacteria particles can in go in, and our immune system goes nuts. 80% of our immune system is in the gut, and it just does not like that disorder. It, it wants order. And if you're allowing things to go in the wrong channels, the immune system starts to go nuts, and that's where you get the beginning of all these diseases. Inflammation is pretty much at the source of every disease we can think about. Very interesting. Going to your book, you talk about diets and lifestyle can contribute to healing the gut. How does that work in terms of like, are we all going to have these very specific diets and gone are the wonderful things that we want to eat? An example would be like, I've mentioned this several times on my radio show is that I don't eat vegetables. I'm more of a meat guy and carbohydrates. Well, you know, it's very, very interesting. I would say out there right now are what I call the diet wars. Mm -hmm. They are people, you know, people who are paleo people are fighting the vegans and, you know, the high fat people are fighting the low fat people and the high carbs are fighting the low carbs. I mean, the vegetarians and the meat eaters are fighting. Nobody actually knows yet what the best diet is. There may be diets for everyone, like a lot of the paleo people. Mm-hmm. Um, they emphasize, and this you know depends upon you as an individual, they start with, okay, let's uh, try, almost all of them start this way. Let's try a diet which you could call it the elimination diet, which takes out the biggest things that are hardest to digest. So cut out gluten, cut out dairy, cut out sugar for a week or two weeks, maybe four weeks if you've got that kind of discipline, and then reintroduce them and see, hey, does gluten bother me? No, it doesn't bother me at all. I can go and eat it. Does dairy bother me? Oh, yeah, dairy does bother me a lot. I should stop that. Um, and, you know, sugar, how can I go? Can I have less sugar? Can I be okay without sugar? And that mm-hmm. kind of it's different for different people. So a lot of people out there would say that, uh, you know, meat is fine. They wouldn't exactly say that no vegetables is fine. You are unique <laughs> that way. Uh, you know, I mean, vegetables do have a lot of minerals and vitamins. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, and the, the the kind of fiber you get from vegetables, almost everybody considers to be really, really important um, for your body because these bacteria live on fiber. So mm-hmm. you probably will have to make a few changes. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll be able to find a happy medium of what you like. I mean, a lot of people say that, okay, in my book I make this, I say, Number one, you know, find a good expert to help you along. Number two, you need a rest and repair diet. Just for mm-hmm. two weeks, mm-hmm. three weeks, four. You just need to give the gut a chance to heal itself. It's the body's incredibly intelligent. You've got to give it some rest. You know, when you get sick, you rest, and then your body heals itself. In the same way, we just don't give the gut a chance. We don't mm-hmm. we keep putting foods down that upset it. The bacteria there are all confused, disorderly. We just need to give it a little period of time, a kind of rest and repair diet that allows it to heal itself. And then you can experiment and find out what's good for you. There are tests you can do. And then you just kind of discover, okay, I'm different than my friend. Mm -hmm. I can eat this. He can't eat that. And these foods are good for me, and they work. And then you just have to decide, you know, how important is your health compared to your taste? I mean, if I eat a little of this, and, you know, generally we have habits, so it takes a while to break the habits, but we do it in small steps. And when we do that, Mm -hmm. sometimes the benefits outweigh what we think we're losing and we feel we can adapt pretty quickly, you know. Right. I understand exactly what you're talking about. I'm an exception to the rule. I mean, I started when I was a kid not eating vegetables. But I do have to tell you this. I mean, I do things in moderation. That would be the best comment that I could say. I don't eat anything in excess. And I don't do 
a lot of sugar like candies and so forth. So if there's one thing that's wrong with my diet or one could pinpoint, it will be heavy carbohydrates and heavy protein. And in some ways now, I need to cut the carb back because carb is sugar. True. And, and, and again, that is a, a, it's not so simple. You know, some people will say mm. this, some people will say that. It's, it's amazing the war that's going out there and how people are saying one is good and one is bad. But right. I think you've discovered the key to everything, and that's moderation. If you're right. moderate and if you're paying attention to what your body's telling you, and, you know, you're, you're seeing, okay, now if I eat this, I feel better, then generally that's the best way, that kind of moderate paying attention to mm-hmm. what your body is telling you. What are some of the most common diseases of the gut? Well, irritable bowel syndrome is the one everybody talks about. It's mm-hmm. one out of five people. Um, you can get inflammatory uh, bowel disorder, which is more serious, like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. But those are those get far more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's kind of this amorphous category, irritable bowel syndrome, because it can include diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, gas. It's just it, it's sort of a catch-all for many many different things. Uh, the you know that's the big one. And mm-hmm. um, there are many variations, like celiac, you know, is a very specific mm-hmm. one. Um, so, you know, it, it encompasses, the GI tract encompasses a lot of different things, hyperacidity. Uh, there's something called SIBO, which is um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. You're not supposed to have a lot of bacteria in the small intestines. Mm-hmm. And when you get that there, that can cause problems, which are, uh, quite easily taken care of by certain herbs and stuff. I write about all this on my blog, on my website. So um, they're both in the book and on the website. It's it's just a huge area, but um, mm-hmm. I would say that the you know the digestive problems are mm-hmm. really kind of like red flags telling you, you know, you know that hey, there's probably something much worse going on here. Because right. it, 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 you can have, you know, you can live with gas, you can live with diarrhea, you can live with constipation to some extent. But really, it's the body trying to tell you, hey, look, this system is in disorder. You better get right. it back in order because it's not the digestive tract where the problem is going to arise. I mean, they actually believe that all autoimmune diseases are caused by the gut. So that's you know, you might have some, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. You might have something that's completely unrelated to the gut, but it's caused right. by that inflammation there. Let me answer this. When you talk about the gut, what should one feel or what is the, what you call it, perhaps for lack of a better term, it's a perfect gut. And what does one feel so that they have a baseline to look at? You know, that's interesting. Um in Ayurveda, this is, mm-hmm. and many of these traditional medical, you know, uh, health systems, they do have like, uh, like things like that. So if you're feeling tired after a meal, they say, oh, that means you have ama, and ama is just a word for toxins and undigested food and mm-hmm. leaky gut. So um, they they look at you know some of the most common things are you know whether you're tired, what's your energy level, is there discomfort in the gut? But they'll also look at other things like do you have joint, you know, uh, pain in your joints? Do you have brain fog? Uh, do you have, um, you know, some other like depression or anxiety? I mean, they'll go, they'll look at every symptom mm-hmm. and basically mm-hmm. back to the gut. Um, and, you know, I would say that, for most people, just having more energy, not brain fog, having, a, you know, after a meal, they're not burping, they're not bloated, they're not, you know, their elimination is good. Those probably are the simplest and most basic signs that things are going well, you know. 
Interesting. Very interesting. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast available on Apple's iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Dr. Robert Keith Wallace. He is a pioneering researcher on the physiology of consciousness. His research has inspired hundreds of studies on the benefits of meditation and other mind-body techniques. Dr. Wallace and I are having a conversation about his latest book, co-authored with his wife, Samantha Wallace, titled Gut Crisis, How Diet, Probiotics, and Friendly Bacteria Help You Lose Weight and Heal Your Body and Mind. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Dr. Wallace, what are prebiotics? Well, you know, prebiotics are very odd substances. I mean, it's a funny word and how mm-hmm. it came about. I'm not even completely certain. I just I want to go back and read more myself. But, um, you know, these foods are not kind of the foods that you would normally have. You know, like the one that's got the most of prebiotic is raw chicory root. You know, I mean, how many people eat raw chicory root? Right. Raw, raw Jerusalem artichoke. This is not a normal artichoke. This is a whole different uh, kind of uh, vegetable, which uh, is more close to, uh, you know, uh, sunflower than it is to, or ginger than it is to being an artichoke. There's raw dandelion greens, raw garlic, raw leeks, raw onions, cooked onions, raw asparagus, raw wheat bran, uh, raw banana. I mean, some of these are familiar, but these are not your ordinary foods. And um, they turn out to be foods that a lot of these bacteria like. They're not mm-hmm. digested in the small intestine. So they um, feed the bacteria in the large intestine. But they're quite odd, some of these foods. In reading your book, you talk about the links between neurological and physiological syndromes and the digestive problems. Can you explain that a little bit better for us in terms of understanding it? Because coming back to the complexity of the gut crisis that you were talking about in the book, I find it very fascinating. But at the same time, like the average Joe, we get to a point that we get used to the symptoms that we have. We all of a sudden accepted the fact that, well, I used to wear a 32-size waist pants. Now I seem to be experiencing bloating a lot more. So 34 is okay. No big deal. I'll accept it. Does that make sense? You know, it's like, okay. And then before you know it, we're on this slippery slope of just going downhill without even knowing it. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent description. Um, you know, we we haven't put much emphasis on diet before. We go to a mm-hmm. doctor, he takes our blood pressure. He doesn't really ask us what we eat. He primarily, you know, measures certain things, gives us medication, and we, we leave. Um, and nobody really is, you know, except for the health experts are talking about diet. Um, but now with the discovery of the microbiome and that we have this gut-brain axis. And now we know the science behind it, and we know that the gut can affect so many things. Now people are talking about diet more seriously and probiotics. I mean, there are thousands of clinical trials going on right now looking at probiotics and diets on how they can help um, various health conditions, we're about to face some big epidemics. Um, You know, most people now predict that obesity and diabetes are going to be the huge epidemics that not just Mm -hmm. affect the United States, but affect the whole world. Um, And some people are genetically more susceptible in pretty much combination of poor diet and stress. And so these uh, stress is a big, big factor on the digestive system. We know that, you know, when you get stressed out, your body just shuts down the digestive system. And when that's done all the time, that's very bad for it. And now we know that the digestive system itself can, um, you know, create these different diseases, some of which are more rare but some mm-hmm. like autism, a lot of people are connecting the gut to autism, which is becoming uh, more prevalent, or Alzheimer's. 
and dementia, which are a huge potential problem for the world as Mm -hmm. people get older. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of wake up time and the new science, because we have the tools to study the microbiome, are telling us, hey, your doctor should be asking you what diet you're taking and what. Right. um, And these are kind of these are symptoms of a much bigger situation that involves the brain and involves. I mean, depression alone is, you know, 350 million people worldwide. Anxiety also is huge. And it turns out that who knew but diet can can influence these. If you have a leaky Mm -hmm. gut, if you have inflammation in your gut, you may not even have any obvious symptoms, but suddenly you're getting depressed and anxious. The last thing you think about is changing your diet, but that may Mm -hmm. be the first thing you should be thinking about. Very interesting. That comes back to what we talked about, I think, earlier when you go see a doctor and he diagnoses you and the gentleman that you spend time with at the country club where he feels like he's very healthy. Yeah, because he has all this medication addressing the symptoms, not the core of the problem. And exactly. that's a totally different approach and so forth. So you're right. So, But then ultimately, it is not necessarily just the doctor's responsibility because we have to take ownership of our body because we do make those decisions. If I could just take this pill and that solve the problem, why not? And so that comes to now what I want to ask you about is the practice of transcendental meditation. How does that contribute to a healthier gut? Well, the, as I said, stress has this very, very mm-hmm. bad effect on the system. Everybody agrees that things like irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, all these, you know, disorders when you throw stress into the equation it just has a terrible effect on the digestive system because our brain really has a huge impact on the digestive tract so transcendental meditation has been shown so far most of the research that's been done there's like 25 million dollars worth of support that's come from the national institutes of health to look at cardiovascular disease because that's the number one killer in the world mm-hmm. today. And so um, most of it's looked at that and it shows it does lower blood pressure. It also, if you look at um, heart attacks, strokes, and deaths, um, there was one very good study um, done, University of Wisconsin, five-year study, you know, big, or actually uh, longer than that, but um, it, you know, many millions of dollars went into it. It showed a 50% reduction in the group that was practicing transcendental mm-hmm. meditation, or 48%, but almost 50. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty good. That's, you, you can't find a pill that will do that. So uh, it turns out, you know, that we're discovering that um, transcendental meditation is a powerful tool for improving health. Well, it's for certain, the studies haven't been done, but I would say it's for certain you will see the effect in the gut because that's where stress has one of its worst effects is in the gut itself. Very, very interesting. What is the best way for the readers to utilize the Gut Crisis book? Um, You know, like you said, the Gut Crisis book is a really good resource. I review everybody out there. I take all the main books, I talk about all the different approaches that are there. I have a lot of um, funny dialogue and references, which kind of make it easier to understand. And then once you've done that, you can come to my website, which is uh, docgut.com, D-O-C-G-U-T.com. And there you can take a quiz, which will tell you a little bit more about what your individual nature is. You can also look at probiotic rating and you can also look at um, a lot of different material uh, in blogs on different topics and um, I will uh, soon have a link there to an online course which really takes you through this what I call a rest and repair diet and Mm -hmm. in such a way that people have support and can do it in an easy way with others so um, 
I'm trying to amass all the resources to help everyone. And the book itself is a really good starting point just to get you familiar with all the approaches that you could choose from. Because you could be a vegetarian, you could be a meat mm-hmm. eater, you might have a preference for something. And there, that diversity exists out there. They do have some very common goals and some common um, programs. And I try to point that out in the book. So um, it's everybody's got to choose the path they're on. And um, I try to give directions and then I will include what I think, you know, for the programs I like, which is a more of a vegetarian um, type program. But even Ayurveda, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, when people have bad gut problems, it recommends bone broth. I mean, wow. so you think, oh, yeah. these people are vegetarians, but they recognize when you do have real serious problems in the gut, you may need to go outside whatever the religious context or belief system you're in, and right. you have to subtly use, um, because bone broth turns out to be incredibly good for healing the gut. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because it's interesting. There are religions out there that say, well, you can't eat this, 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 and this. Okay, fine. But then majority of the time I find like in today's world is that I'm using this facetiously. I'm trying to send a statement in terms of, okay, well, I'm a vegan or I'm this, or I'm that. And so what happens is that you don't understand the totality of the whole situations here because in Asia, they've done those vegetarian things since the beginning of time. They've done yeah. the meat, the balance, and whatever you talk about since the beginning of time. And you talk yeah. about the bone broth. There are other things that I remember my mom used to cook, and I hate it <laughs> when we were sick. But it works to be just thinking about strictly, oh, well, you know, hey, I don't eat any meat, or I don't eat all of this. Even for me, when I cook for people, I put vegetables in there. And when you cook the vegetables, guess what? You technically eat the vegetable because all the stuff is in the broth. You may not eat the pieces of vegetables, but it's in the broth. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. Good. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think the whole world is going to change. And I think the consumers Mm are going to do it. Like, you know, if you have somebody that has Alzheimer's and there's no pill, you're going to go to your doctor and you're going to say, hey, how do I do this? And if the doctor doesn't know, He suddenly, he wasn't taught in medical school. Now he's got to go out and read. He's got to learn himself about doctors. And so I think the whole medical system is about to change because Mm -hmm. of our understanding of the microbiome and the gut. I think, you know, people have recognized a lot of these older um, solutions that you talked about are brilliant and they have a scientific basis. We just didn't know about it before. Dr. Wallace, you had the opportunity to travel the world. Is also your intention to study the curiosity side of you, make you go out there and learn, see, and you are results-oriented. If we are results-oriented, it gives us a different perspective on how we look at things. We are no longer governed by certain, I would say, perimeters in the sense that, oh my gosh, I can't do this because I've been told not to do this. This is where you have to stretch your mind a little bit. And then, of course, nowadays we're living in a global village. So why not take the advantage of things that other people know more than we do or can do it better than we can? That's a brilliant summary. Thank you. That's really, really exactly how I feel. You you said it perfectly. How long will it take for people to feel and see the results after adopting your recommendations or recommendations in the book in terms of addressing ways to heal their gut? Yeah, again, the experts differ on this a lot. And Mm -hmm. um, some people would say, hey, you know, you might feel it right away. Uh, Another person would say, another doctor would say, now you've really got to give it, you know, 30 days or even 90 days because these are long-term changes in the body and they don't, some of them don't happen right away. So it's a very complicated question just because we all are different. We all have different problems and some, you know, their first practice of transcendental meditation, boom, you know, huge change. Others, you know, they've got to do all kinds of different things 
changing their diet, changing this, changing that, and then they notice it more gradually. So I, it's a very, very hard question to answer just because we're so individual and our mm-hmm. problems are so individual. I know you mentioned your website earlier, but where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you and, of course, gut crisis, and keep up with your latest happenings? Yeah, well, it, I am on Amazon. I have a number of other books there um, that cover a wide variety of topics like, you know, Dharma parenting or transcendental meditation. So um, just Amazon is, you know, the, the go-to place these days for almost everything mm-hmm. in the world. And uh, I'm there, too. So I have an author page. And then, um, you know, beyond that, I'd say that the website is really the best because it goes into it more specifically. I do publish articles like I I pick popular journals. I don't know if you know the Elephant Journal, but I've had mm-hmm. a couple of articles in there that are kind of fun and get a wide, you know, different audiences. I like to post in different journals just to get a different kind of an audience. So um, I'm trying my best to get out there and get out to everyone in different ways. Wonderful. And what's your website address again? It's uh, DocGut, D-O-C, like, you know, for doctor, gut, G-U-T, dot com. So DocGut.com. Wonderful. What is next for you? Well, I, you know, it's a good question. I I really believe deeply, and this comes from my being with this wonderful teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, that we got to change the health system of the world. And he wanted very much to set up some type of health center hospital where we really would have integrative medicine. At the university I'm at, Maharishi University of Management in Fairfield, Iowa, we have a master's program in uh, Marshi Ayurveda and integrative medicine. And I really believe that we have to train a whole army of health coaches who have this latest knowledge, who can work with doctors who may not have the time to learn everything. They certainly don't have the time. They're not going to spend an hour with you. And you really need mm-hmm. a health coach. And I mm-hmm. just think right now we're facing a huge health crisis in the world and my dedication is just to try to stop that through prevention and educating people what's good for them. So through the university and through books, that's my main focus. Fantastic. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour since our show is about people, family, and living life. What would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, you know, for me, um, I really believe that most important thing in life is you need to enjoy. I mean, you're going to have so many things different happen to you. Sometimes you get sick unexpectedly. Sometimes something happens in the family, and you can't always do everything about it. The best you can do is kind of provide a good interpretation. So I think mm-hmm. we have to do everything we can in our lives to inspire ourselves. I really believe transcendental meditation and, like you say, moderation in life. Uh, and doing things that inspire you, you know, whether it's taking a walk in nature, whether it's take, going out in your sailboat and sailing, whatever inspires mm-hmm. you, we need to live a more balanced life and be inspired. Because when we're happy and we're enjoying, life is better, even with all the problems that we inevitably have to face. That's wonderful. Dr. Wallace, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, October 24th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation on their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Kind of America, 101 stories about the true spirit of our country, stories of kindness, compassion, generosity, and love. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dr. Wallace, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you very much, Johnny. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, well, uh, honey. Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um, well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, Sunshine. <laughs> Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.